Hello, I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Subscribe today at RAINWorldview.com. You are listening to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. This podcast is being recorded in January 2022, and the world is watching a standoff between the West and Russia over Ukraine, and wondering if Russia will undertake military action against Ukraine. The risks are great, and the danger is real. Here with details of what's at stake is Matthew Orr, Reigns Eurasia Analyst. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Emily. Great to be here. It's great to have you again. Why is Russia threatening a conflict with Ukraine? Yeah. Uh, I think it's useful to approach this question kind of from the the, the broad strategic uh, uh, angle, and then we can get get down to precisely what's going on right now and the, the state of negotiations. So, basically, the, the the important point is that Moscow has long viewed an allied, or at the very very least, neutral Ukraine as a as a geostrategic uh, imperative. Obviously, Ukraine holds special ideological significance uh, for Moscow as well, and that's reflected in an article that Putin uh, wrote over the summer that basically argued that Ukrainian sovereignty is only possible uh, in uh, in close alignment with Moscow, which many people interpreted as this signal that Putin was beginning to lay the groundwork both domestically and internationally for going to really extreme steps in attempt to bring Ukraine back into Russia's uh, geostrategic uh, orbit. Um, as far as you know, why now? Right, we've known for years that that Russia is is very concerned about Ukraine and wants Ukraine as part of its orbit. But the key thing is that Moscow is now beginning to understand that all of the long term factors essentially work against Moscow and work in in favor of the Ukrainians. So Ukraine's most no, most notably, Ukraine's defense capabilities, just their conventional defense capabilities, uh, are likely to continue to go stronger. In the coming years, um, this is this is everything from conventional forces, but most notably, this includes things like uh, uh, ballistic missile systems that could uh, target uh, Russia in case of a, a Russian military uh, action against Ukraine. Uh, secondly, we have uh, the fact that you know that this younger generation of Ukrainians is, is is has a different national identity and more democratic value, and is way more oriented towards the West than the older generation that grew up in the Soviet Union. And so this all leads to a dynamic where basically uh, uh, Moscow is concerned that uh, Ukraine is going to f- basically forever turn away from Russia's orbit, the population. Uh, and this is what Putin has referred to as Ukraine turning into uh, an anti-Russia. And so these are the, the kind of tendencies that are, are forcing people in the Kremlin to tell Putin that, you know, we, we, if we are going to do a military action against Ukraine, this would only be harder one year, two years, 10 years, or, or even 40 years from now because because of these dynamics. Uh, on the other hand, Russia has recently completed a, a, a significant investment in modernizing its military capabilities. Uh, this started after Russia's uh, uh, war against Georgia in 2008, where the Russian military realizes that they needed a significant investment and, and reorganization to up Russia's military capabilities. And so that, that's kind of the strategic context that we're in. And how this kind of represents itself on the ground is that Russia sees 
uh, Ukraine is growing closer to the West, and this is most evident in Ukraine's growing ties with NATO. And Russia basically sees that it has the best power, uh, relative power advantage at this point to make demands that it hopes it will lead to NATO shutting its door on Ukraine and kind of uh, lead to a, an establishment of a regional security order that is in Moscow's favor before these long-term trends kick in that will make uh, Moscow's position uh, relatively weaker. What are some of the costs for Russia in case of an attack against Ukraine? And would considering those costs even deter the Kremlin's decisions here? Yes, obviously, this is uh, one of the key questions. It's, it's important to remember, though, that the, the West has promised all kinds of sanctions on Russia. I'll get into those uh, in just a second. But even before I do, I think it's important to remember that uh, Russia sees a lot of utility in, in merely uh, sowing discord in the West by making them go through this process of decide which sanctions they're going to do, which exacerbates all of the internal tensions and internal contradictions in transatlantic uh, relations. And we could even see Russia engage in attempts to really picket this. One example would be if the, the Donbass uh, separatists kind of begin a, an offensive, uh, we could see Russia essentially test the grounds of, okay, well, well how, how much do we have to military aid action against Ukraine for these sanctions to kick in? And obviously all kinds of debates would kick off in the West about, oh, now is the time. Oh, no, Russia has not passed the threshold yet where we actually have to do the sanctions that we promised to do. Uh, as far as what the West has said they would do, uh, they've thrown out all kinds of ideas. Um, this includes things like the removal of Russia from SWIFT, um, which unfortunately I don't think will is, is will deter Russia. I think it's potentially overvalued because Russia has been preparing for a removal from SWIFT t since 2014, and a removal from SWIFT would inevitably also entail uh, Russia cutting off gas supplies uh, to Europe because it could no longer uh, uh, receive payment. And amid high energy prices in Europe, uh, that's a significant piece of leverage uh, that that the Kremlin believes it holds. In the situation, um, other obvious economic sanctions include things like uh, uh, limits on Russia's uh, sovereign debt and dollar transactions, uh, sanctions on Russian energy projects. But it's unclear if these measures are, or, or merely economic measures alone, I should say, are enough to deter the Kremlin, because uh, uh, Russia's leaders have uh, ascribed significant national security implications and ideological significance to this Ukraine question. Uh, and given given that investment, uh, it's it's unclear uh, if economic measures alone would really be enough. Um, obviously, there's also talk of the immense uh, human and political cost that a Russian uh, military action in Ukraine would uh, entail, but that also could potentially be overplayed because uh, it, it, while an, an insurgency would be quite powerful in Western Ukraine, Russia may at this time only have uh, desires on the eastern portion of the country. Uh, where a, a an insurgency is less likely to be uh, truly attritious. And so I think all of this uh, creates a scenario where um, the exact extent to which Russia is deterred uh, is another question that is still up in the air. And, and this, in turn, significantly uh, contributes to high tensions. So, Matthew, what are the future, then, of these European security talks? And maybe you could describe some of the military technical responses that could be in the offing. Yes, yeah, certainly. So I think, you know, the potentially one of the good pieces of news in this crisis 
is that Russia possesses all kinds of off-ramps that would allow them to de-escalate and save face. People have speculated that they don't want off-ramps and that they will only accept um, their their primary demand, which is uh, uh, a redefining of the possibility of uh, countries like uh, Ukraine and, and, and Georgia joining NATO, specifically no NATO in Ukraine and no Ukraine in NATO, right? But um, there are still all kinds of things that, that, that Russia uh, could do to respond to the failure to have its main demands met while, not have, while foregoing and not having to follow through on this clear uh, threat to Ukraine. Some of these uh, potential military technical responses, as they're called, are things like deploying missile systems near Ukraine's borders, deploying missiles near NATO states, particularly in the Baltics, uh, deploying additional missiles near uh, Ukraine, deploying conventional forces, uh, much more so to the western parts of Russia and also to Belarus, um, and even more ambitious uh, military technical response uh, uh, scenarios involve Russia attempting to deploy uh, Amer- uh, uh, troops to America's backyard, so to speak, to places like Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, this idea in particular has gained a lot of traction uh, uh, amongst foreign policy circles in, in Moscow. And also, of course, uh, things like uh, cyber warfare, information warfare, uh, increased technical cooperation with China on military matters. All of these things would be significant developments that uh, the West would have to respond to and potentially would allow Russia to save face in this scenario. Well, that's certainly a lot to consider. Thanks for that guidance, Matthew. Sure thing. Matthew Orr is a Eurasia analyst with RAIN. Whether you're in Europe and watching developments on Ukraine or another country monitoring the latest COVID news, rain is there. We forecast how the news today will become the geopolitical drivers of tomorrow. And our work is on display at Rain Worldview. We want you to sign up, so we're offering a special rate. Find out more at stratfor.com. That's stratfor.com. Looking forward to having you. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 